0: this episode justice league international number seven cover dated november 1987. Welcome to the 7th episode of Justice League International Wahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. My name's the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host, but I'm not flying solo. Every single episode, I'll feature a different guest host. My co-host today is, well, frankly, he's a little disturbed. I understand there's an unspoken love between a man and his gadgets, but my guest today has taken it too far. Not only does he live in Detroit, the automotive capital of the world, he's also allowed this sickness to infect his comic reading... This guy's favorite characters include Cyborg, Red Tornado, and Robot Man from the Doom Patrol. You can see the disturbing trend emerging here. (sighs) Now, with all that said, I also have to admit he's actually a pretty nice guy. So, folks, please help me welcome Mr. Doug Zawisha. Welcome to the Embassy, Doug. Thanks for being here.
1: Happy to be here.
0: (laughs) And, folks, I owe a huge credit to Doug because he's the one who finally got me off my keister to start this Justice League International podcast. It had been brewing, like, in the back of my mind for years, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. I just – The pieces wouldn't click into place. So then he contacted me saying he was thinking about starting a Justice League International podcast. So I immediately stole the idea from him and launched mine. Like within moments, everything just fell into place at that moment. So thanks for letting me steal your idea, Doug. Hey, hey, no problem.
1: Actually, I was working on a Justice League podcast automaton with T.O. Morrow and Professor Ivo. (laughs) But, you know, those things don't always
0: work out so good. Doug, it's a sickness. It's a sickness, <laughs> Doug. you need help? It, it very well might be. Now, some of you may not realize this, but you've actually heard Doug's words in your head before. And I don't mean those voices that whisper to you in the night. I mean some of his review, comic reviews he's done, some writing you've done for Tomorrow's Press. Doug, why don't you tell the people at home where they may have seen you?
1: Alrighty, righty. Uh, thanks, Shag. Well, I started writing for JeffJohns.com back when Mr. Johns was just writing some comic called Stars and S T R I P E, whatever that might be. But that turned into gosh, what were we?.com?.org? Something
2: yeah. like that, yeah.
1: Yeah. And eventually I wound up going over to Comic Book Resources or CBR. Doing reviews there. Did somewhere in the neighborhood 2,000 reviews there.
0: I was going to uh, say, it's a safe bet, folks. If you read a review on CBR, you probably read some of Dogs.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and took my leave from there and was approached by the fine folks over at Comicosity. So now I'm writing over at Comicosity, not just reviews, but also columns and interviews. Um, I've interviewed a, a couple folks, but there's a couple... Other interviews in the wings that still need corporate approvals. And in between all of those and around all of those, I also wrote the Hawkman Companion for Tomorrows. Mm-hmm. A little bit of help with a few folks and a whole lot of interviews. <laughs> and honestly, that companion came out, gosh, probably about eight years now. Mm. It doesn't seem like that long, but if you look at the list of interviews and folks that Aren't necessarily around anymore. Ouch! The years really start to come together.
0: Well, you're really, really, really old, Doug. I mean, that's part of it.
1: That's that's what it feels like. <laughs> but, you know, I am in a metallic body, so I'll be able to live forever.
0: Oh, Detroit! What have you done to my friend, Doug? Oh, it's not. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. Well. I knew, as a, as a favor, as a payback, as a blood pact, I don't know, whatever. Blood money, maybe that's what I'm trying to say. For Doug, uh, for stealing his idea. I knew I owed him something. So I knew I had to get him on for an important issue of this book. And ladies and gentlemen, we're here. We're here at issue number seven. This is where it all changes. We're shag,
1: shag, 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 no. No, no, no. First you tried to put me on for the Justice League Antarctica issue. <laughs> And that was it you said. And I said, No, 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 no. If we're doing this, let's do this.
0: Is that how it went down? Well, actually I was gonna try and maybe stuff you over on one of our side shows and have you talk about the drick the you know, the dead green lantern that was in millennium. <laughs> I figured maybe that's where I could stick you. But somehow you ended up here. I don't know. Someone hacked my spreadsheet.
1: It might have been uh, our good friends down under and their friend Wilfred. I mean, uh, as long as we're talking about machines, right? Or yeah, maybe yeah. Max Lord's machine.
0: You, you can't sit here and sh- give shout-outs to the waiting for doom guys. It's just going to swell I their did. head. It's not I healthy that at all. Those guys, are, ah, just you know, wait till you see what <laughs> invasion does to them. <laughs> so, as I was trying to say before I was so rudely interrupted, this is the big one, folks. We are no longer, or at least the comic is no longer Justice League as of this issue. It is Justice League International. woo oh, yeah. so excited to get to this point. I can't wait to talk about it.
1: And you have a giveaway lined up for anyone who can identify all of the flags on the cover, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm going to give you Doug's home address. That's exactly <laughs> right, folks. So write in, tell us all the flags, and I'll tell you exactly where he is in Detroit, and you can go <laughs> steal his creepy robotic body. <laughs> Because I want to talk about this issue so badly, I'm going to throw a curveball, and we're going to thank our sponsors instead, folks. This episode of the JLI Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode, will select a collected edition to briefly discuss from the InStock Trades library. Usually, it's going to be tied to this month's JLI issue in some way, shape, or form, and this time, it is directly related, folks. I want to talk about Justice League International, Volume 1 trade paperback. Now, this collects issues 1 through 6 of Justice League, Justice League International number 7, the comic we're about to talk about. And uh, is a gorgeous collection. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go into the details of it. You guys already know we've been talking about for several issues. It's 192 pages. Full color, normally retails for $17.99. You can get it 45% off right now, at least the time of this recording, and it only costs you $9.89. And not only do you get all seven issues of this wonderful series in the back, it also reprints the Class of 87 poster we've been talking about so much, which is beautiful, and also includes the variant covered in number three, the Superman Comics uh, cover, and, and it includes the Who's Who entry that was drawn by Kevin McGuire for Who's Who Update 87, something that's a little near and dear to my heart. So, Doug, did you happen to bring in in trades recommendation by chance?
1: Not only did I, but I have that very trade that you're talking about in my hand right now.
0: Nice. I, I, have, I don't own that version because I already own the original one that was printed in 89. I've got that old-school trade, and I've got this trade, the new trade in a digital form. So I, uh, I think I've bought it enough times already.
2: And
1: you talk about my problem with machines.
0: <laughs> anyway,
1: getting us back on track... You know, because this isn't my podcast. Oh, Uh, goodness. (laughs) My uh, title that I bring to you guys is Booster Gold, Volume 2, Blue and Gold. I'm recommending the hardcover because I just happen to like hardcovers. They're a little more durable, travel a little more easily.
0: You're a hardcover lover.
1: Yes, indeed. And that's just kind (laughs) of (laughs) kinky.
0: That's why I said it about you, sir. (laughs)
1: It's the second volume of the Jeff Johns Booster Gold. And it collects issues zero, seven to ten, and one million. And in there, Booster travels through time to save his best friend, Blue Beetle. Written by Jeff Johns and Jeff Katz, drawn by Dan Jurgens, who knows a thing or two about Booster Gold. Just a bit. This thing's clocks in at 160 pages and cover priced at $24.99. In stock trades price is $1374. You save 45%. It is also available as a trade paperback if you're, you know, not a hardcover lover like some of us. <laughs> can save an additional five dollars and fifty cents because at that point it's only eight dollars and twenty-four
0: cents. That's a hell of a trade, too, folks. If you're, if you're, if you're an old-school DC fan, and if you're listening to the show, clearly you are. That one's fun because he does, as you mentioned, they do the zero issue and the one million issue, and and you got to remember this comic didn't come out during those events. So as I remember correctly, the Zero issue ties into Zero Hour, which was like twenty, you know, or ten years before this, and in One Million, which was like what five, six, seven years before this. Is that? Am I remembering that right?
1: Yeah, sounds about right.
0: That's so cool. That's a, for a time travel comic. That's brilliant to have tie-ins to crossovers that are over. You know, that's so funny. Oh. so folks, uh, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, while you're listening to this episode, if you want to hop on the social media and maybe send links to Doug that are maybe like support groups for uh, machine heads, anything along those lines, please use our hashtag, which is FWpodcasts, that ends in an S, or you can discuss the whole idea about being international or what happens to Guy Gardner or anything about the book. We'd love to hear from you folks, but by including that hashtag, it does make it easier to find you. You can find the show on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, it's under JLI Podcast, and on Facebook, it's Just the International Blah-ha-ha podcast again please join us in talking about the JLI we're really trying to build an online community of JLI fans and uh it's great to find each other and be able to talk about our favorite moments or argue a little bits it's just it's really nice to have that sense of community now we need to get into the most boring part of the show, which is where we let Doug talk for a while. And Doug, i got a couple of questions for you that I'd like you All to right. tell the audience. First off, what is your own personal origin story with the JLI? How would you discover the book, and why did you fall in love with it? Well,
1: I was actually uh, lucky enough to be in on the ground level for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I bought Legends when it was coming out off the stands.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I had started that as... Right around that time, I had discovered the, the magic of a local comic shop as opposed to a newsstand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not only that but the the books on the newsstand were criminally outdated in some cases like i think i got legends 1 off the newsstand but went to the comic shop and 5 was out oh wow so then i had to fill that gap between 1 and 5 but was able to to stay there and keep rolling with it so when i was at the uh, the comic shop and Saw that first cover on the stand with Guy Gardner standing there in the front of the group challenging us readers. I was all in. <laughs> and at that point, the only book that could really challenge it for my money and my time was Uncanny X-Men.
0: Oh, oh Uncanny X-Men in the 80s. What a what a juggernaut that book was.
1: Yeah, literally.
0: Yeah. Oh, God, I didn't even think about what I was saying. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I loved Legends. Legends was fantastic. You, you were lucky to find Justice League number one. I never found it and didn't discover the magic for another 42 issues myself.
1: That's insane.
0: I know. I know. So who was uh, who's your favorite JLI characters? And if you can, just try and narrow it down somewhere between one to three characters. Sure,
1: sure. Well, you know, blue and gold goes without saying. Mm-hmm. But uh, prior to that, John, I was very endeared to John through Justice League Detroit. Woohoo or, Excuse me, Sean.
0: Was that your uh, hometown team at the time or were you not in Detroit back then?
1: Uh, I was in Toledo, which was basically you know a suburb of detroit toledo ohio little shout out it's the downriver of downriver, and detroit folks will know what i mean by that
0: the mud hens right
1: yeah yeah the mud hens and that's about it <laughs> home of the jeep okay nice yeah but this issue right here issue number seven was the one that really made Mr. Miracle a favorite character of mine um, and not just a Justice League favorite, but a favorite overall. Um, you know, he's, he's not going to challenge the mechanical guys, but wait a minute. He's got a mother box. <laughs> doesn't he? He does he? So he was, he was uh, originally kind of set up as the straight man to the blue and gold that, uh, or the Abbott and Costello that blue and gold presented. But then he had his own way of throwing in jabs and garnering some laughs, which then took the blue and gold duo whenever, you know, Miracle would chime in and made them more of a, a Marx Brothers parallel instead with, uh, with Miracle essentially playing the role of Groucho there, getting the best lines hmm. at the expense of the other two. Then yet in the fact that he's married and none of the other leaguers knew and, and there was just so much to learn about Mr. Miracle, who's this character that had so much depth and so much comic book history. But honestly, Justice League One was my first exposure to him. Yeah, right. You know, and, and he just became a character that I really wanted to know more about. And I've heard it mentioned on this very podcast that we still don't know how he joined. Correct. And man, what a great story that could be.
0: There, there's a hint of it in this issue.
2: Yeah. You yeah. know,
0: just the, the faintest of hints. But yeah, as, as far as no one's been able to identify when they join the team, because yeah, they just they're not at the end of legends with the rest of everyone else, and then they just show up a number one. Yeah, and you know, sort of like what you said, as far as your first exposure to Mister Miracle, mine would have been somewhere around this area, because yeah, that well, the New Gods, at least Dark Side, was was pretty well entrenched in the DC universe. The rest of the New Gods weren't were, were kind of an afterthought. DC didn't really have a lot of investment in them until about this time. This is right. when they really started rolling with all the New God series, and Cosmic Odyssey came shortly after this, and then the New God series, and they really, really got the ball rolling.
1: And Mr. Miracle got his own series around, what, probably four or five issues after this.
0: Oh, was it that early? Okay, yeah. I, I couldn't so. remember when it was. I I loved that series. I, I read quite a bit of it. it when It was weird. I was reading Mr. Miracle, but not JLI. What was that about? I, I couldn't remember whether that series launched before or after he got taken away by the, uh, Manga con or not. I thought it was after that. Maybe I'm, I guess I'm mistaken. I don't
1: know. Now you gotta wonder.
0: Someone at home is yelling at their Zune, like, wah! They, so, sorry folks, we're just talking off the cuff here, but, well, that's awesome. Mr. Miracle is a very cool character. He's a lot of fun, and I've come to, to love him even more during this reread.
1: Well, I got an answer there. The, the series, when Mr. Miracle spun off into his own series? Mm hmm. 1989.
0: Okay. So. So that would have been like the third year of the series, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, let me see if I can get a cover date on the first issue.
0: So if what I'm hearing, what you're saying is right, Doug. You're saying I'm right and you're wrong, I think. Is,
1: um, aren't those maybe. the words
0: you're trying to form in your mouth?
1: No. <laughs> you know, it was a January 1989 cover date for number one.
0: So that would be actually around issue 19 or so, probably, or somewhere in that ballpark.
1: I I recall it aligning with uh, one of the annuals.
0: Okay. All right. You know,
1: who knows? You'll find out soon enough.
0: That's true. We will. Well, since we're talking about other comics on the shelves, let's go ahead and get to it, folks. We're going to go to our segment entitled... Monitor Duty. And this is a segment where we talk about other comics on the shelves that same month that featured JLI members. And we're talking about August 11th, 1987 is when this issue hit the shelves, folks. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. So other titles appearing on the shelves featuring JLI characters. As far as the team itself, you can see most of the team actually in Booster Gold number 22 in August 1987. By Dan Juergens and Ty Templeton, great team there. It features the entire JLI as they turned out to help Booster battle the aliens from Dimension X. Not sure you needed the entire Justice League to battle something called the aliens from Dimension X, but whatever. You can find more information on Booster Gold over on the Silver and Gold podcast if you want more Booster. Then for current members of the JLI, over in Action Comics number 594 by John Byrne, more Booster Gold. It was Booster Gold versus Superman, which is an awesome cover where Booster Gold is smashing Superman's face into the mud. And it's a wonderful tribute to Booster Gold number seven. It's the opposite there. Superman smashing Booster's face in the mud. It's a really, a really nice parallel. The two covers look great together. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So, And if you want more on this era of Superman, a great podcast to listen to is From Crisis to Crisis with our buddy Michael Bailey, who was a previous guest on this show.
1: And that Run of Action Comics is just phenomenal. Where Byrne's just rotating in guest
0: stars. Well, it's like DC Comics presents, but done by John Byrne. I mean, exactly. It's kind of like that Marvel team up run that he did, where he with Chris Claremont, where he was drawing it, which was just a great run too. I love those team up type books. I'm right there with you, sir, on the team-up books. Love them. Absolutely love them. I wish they'd bring back, uh, remember Mark Waid's Brave and the Bold? And then uh, J. Michael Straczynski's Brave and the Bold? Those were so good. We need books like that. Then, also on the shelves in August 1987, Batman number 413 by Mary Jo Duffy, Kiernan Dwyer, and Mike DiCarlo features a robbery in a museum which leads Batman into battle with a costume samurai.
1: Not the samurai, is it?
0: Uh, no not super samurai no not from the super friends that would be incredible but no sadly no also on the shelves of Detective Comics number five eighty by Mike W. Barr and Jim Baikey? Bikey? Sure. Okay. Uh Batman and Robin tracked down Two Face. But it's not Harvey Dent, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, thirty year later spoiler. If you want more Batman goodness, by the way, in podcasty form, be sure to check out the Batman Universe. It's a great website with tons of Batman podcasts. You should be checking it out.
1: Alright. Some other uh titles that were on the shelf Outsiders twenty five by Mike W. Barr and Jim Aparo. What? Ciders versus Major Disaster, who would be a future JLI member. And my notes don't have it, but Metamorpho would have been on that team, too. Another future member. That's true. And then uh, Vigilante number 47 by Paul Kupperberg and uh, Todd Smith. Vigilante teams up with Batman and Harvey Bullock. Harvey's not a JLI member, but uh, Batman is or <laughs> Yes, he is. And Blue Beetle number eighteen. Len Wein, Paris Collins, Dan Garrett, the original Blue Beetle comes back from the dead and he's possessed by the scarab. Ooh. So that winds up being Ted Court against Dan Garrett. And honestly, that was my first exposure to Dan Garrett, and I absolutely adored that title. I think I probably read that individual issue to to shreds. Oh wow. Yeah. I just love Dan Garrett's look. It was it was so different from Ted's look and somehow classic even though Ted's is certainly more battle-appropriate, maybe? <laughs> well, you can't go wrong with Paris Collins drawing either, though. Yeah, this is true. And you can read more about Blue Beetle or hear more about Blue Beetle. No, read more about Blue Beetle on the Court Industries blog. Uh, Tim Wallace, who's been on this show before, runs that blog. And then some future members of the JLI in this very issue, as a matter of fact. Captain Adam Number 9 by Carrie Bates and Pat Broderick. we still got Broderick on that book. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, it's still very, very good. Uh, Captain Adam is trying to prove his innocence in the crimes that he was framed for back in the 60s, and he comes face-to-face with Bolt.
0: I love Bolt. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, Bolt's kind of a, a catch-all. Yeah,
0: he's a great stock villain. He's like Wade's
1: team Turmoil in The Flash.
2: There you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: You can catch more about Captain Adam on the Silver and Gold podcast. Uh, and Hawkman, number 16. Yeah, Hawkman by Dan Michigan and Richard Howell. Uh, this would be Howell's last issue on the series. And this is uh, one of Michigan's first as regular series writer to that point. Tony Isabella had already left the series. Hawkwoman and the Gentleman Ghost are prisoners of a brain entity in a spirit dimension. And yes, that does sound rather crazy. And unfortunately, the book isn't as crazy as that description sounds. (laughs) Uh, You can find more about Hawkman over on the Being Carter Hall blog and also in something called Hawkman Companion from Tomorrow's Publishing. And, you know, as far as Hawkman goes in that companion, it's actually on page 81. And there may be a little bit more getting added to that story soon. And I don't want to give any spoilers or tip any hands, but yes, I'll be writing something about Hawkman soon.
0: Interesting. All right. You seem to be very familiar with this, Hawkman Companion, sir, knowing the page number and everything. Gosh.
1: Yeah, I got a copy laying around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've seen. You know, in fact, just to pull back the curtain a bit, folks, I went to visit Doug last year. I talked to my wife about it, and she's like, you're, you're going to meet this guy you met on the Internet? I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, you're going to his house? I'm like, Yeah? Is that a bad idea? She's like, I'll bet you at $5, you're in the basement in 10 minutes, and I never hear from you again. So I get to Doug's house. His daughter's there, who is equally as nervous about me coming over, by the way. And then where do I end up within five minutes? In Doug's basement. Just saying. little creepy, folks. Yep, yep. Thankfully, all my parts are still organic. He didn't replace any of it with machines. That time. (laughs) There is another visit coming up. All right, folks, with that disturbing thought, we're going to go to a podcast promo break where we're going to play a commercial for one of our friends. And when we come back, we're going to tackle Justice League International number seven.
2: Yeah. It's midnight,
3: the podcasting hour. Hello, listeners. It's your friend, PJ Frightful. That's PJ as in podcast jockey and I'm dropping dreadful new episodes every two weeks. When the clock strikes midnight, the podcasting hour shines a candle on the dark corners of DC Comics, those supernatural sagas of Swamp Thing, Dead Man, The Spectre, and more. The Podcasting Hour. It's a rotating anthology series boasting the terrifying talents of Ryan Daly, Rob Kelly, Paul Hicks, Ben Avery, Doug Zavisha, and other unfortunate souls. Prepare for the unexpected, open a doorway to nightmare, and enter the houses of mystery and secrets. The moon is full, and the dark spirits are rising. For it's midnight, the podcasting hour. Coming this Halloween, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Beware
0: and we're back and folks as we cover Justice League International number 7. So excited. You can see images from this issue, some of the pages, some of the panels, some of the standout moments. You can head over to the Fire & Water podcast website, which is, surprisingly, fireandwaterpodcast.com slash JLI. And there you'll find uh, an entry. It'll say something like, Justice League International number 7, Gallery Post. And there we'll have lots of the images for you to check out so you can follow along as you listen to the episode. Let's do this, Doug. Oh, uh-huh. my gosh. I feel like it's all been building to this moment. Folks, this is Justice League International. National number seven from DC Comics. Cover dated November 1987. Cover price $1.25. That's right, five shiny quarters. Woof! It's, pr- it's a, a lot more money because it's a 38 page special, folks. This thing's huge. Cover by Kevin McGuire and Al Gordon. Doug, when you walk us through the cover.
1: Well, the cover's got the main members of the Justice League to this point, minus Captain Marvel, minus Dr. Fate. But instead, we've got Captain Adam and Rocket Red? And they're backlit, so you got some pretty heavy shadow thrown on them. And then behind them are a bunch of flags that are not quite Serpent. They're, they've got the black outline on them, but they're faded mm-hmm. just to give it some depth. And it's a, a pretty decent team shot. It's not. Your typical team shot that you would associate with the Justice League, but it gets the the point across that here we go, we got Justice League.
0: It's very different for the series up to this point. I mean, first of all, I, the artwork style is very different from anything we've seen Kevin McGuire do before.
1: This is true. Very heavy shadows.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny. I my, my wife has no interest in geeky things whatsoever. She barely tolerates me even being in the house, folks. And I was reading the comic again last night, just getting ready for this. And, I don't know, in a moment of weakness, she was nice to me. And she says, what are you reading? And I told her, it's Justice League getting ready for the podcast. She's like, let me see. So I showed her the cover. And she goes, Ooh I'm like, what? I mean, I love this cover, right? She's like, Ugh, they all look dead. Look at their eyes. Wow. And unfortunately, now I can't unsee that. <laughs> She's ruined this cover for me. She's it's like, tough. you look at like Black Canary's eyes and Captain Adam's eyes. That is the kind of way they normally draw people when they're possessed. You know, yeah. like, like in the annual, you know, when the the entity yeah. took over all of it kind of looked a little bit like this. So, ah, a little
1: freaked but out. But look at Mr. Miracle.
0: He looks awesome. You can see his eyeball, that's for sure. Yep.
1: He's escaped. <laughs>
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, even Ken McGuire's signature is different in this one. Normally they write, you know, he writes McGuire and everything. Here it's just a KM and an AG for Al Gordon. Very different. I love it, though. It's it's very striking. The flags look great. It really sends home the message. You know, this, with a brand new logo, too. I mean, to us it looks, you know, nothing special, but this was the first time anyone would have seen this logo. Ah. It's it's a beautiful cover.
1: And here's something to think about, listeners. This was the only cover available. <laughs> we, we live in a world where there are variants listed up to the letter T on Diamond's release list.
0: They do up to. You mean you mean like there's like a variant A, variant B, variant exactly C, all the way up to T. T.
1: Oh, that's I think sick. I forget which it was. If it was Rom or if it was uh, Betty and Veronica, one of those went all the way up to T. That's just sick. Yeah, there could have been other covers, I guess.
0: Oh, you're right. Published nowadays? Yeah, this thing yeah. Would, have, do they would You know, they probably would have gone the Justice League of America number one route, where they would have had a different cover for every flag of the world. Remember okay. they did one for every state in the Union?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Probably would have been I'll
1: tell you, I tell you, I would go after the Bialyo one. <laughs> that, that's a collector's item right there.
0: I wonder what that flag would be. <laughs> At this point, the Queen Bee hadn't taken over, so it wouldn't be you know something provocative. It'd probably just be something ridiculous.
1: <laughs> I wonder if that flag turns up. Now I'm going to be watching for it.
0: I know. Now we got to know. Well, nothing to do but talk about the comic. Doug, you want right. to start us off? Sure thing, sir. All right,
1: Justice League International number seven, plot and breakdowns by Keith Giffen, script by J.M. DeMatteis, penciler is Kevin Maguire, inkers Al Gordon, letterer is Bob Lappin. Lapan. Lapin. Colorist is Gene D'Angelo and the editor, Andy Helfer, <laughs> Justice League International. So the issue opens with an external shot of the Justice League's headquarters. Taking the reader inside, we see Guy Gardner finally shaking off the effects of the one punch <laughs> from Batman. He updates the reader on events that transpired to that point and realizes just where his ring might be. Crawling under the monitor bank, which to me always looked like the Mego Pocket Heroes Hall of Justice playset. ha ha ha! Guy is presumably bit by a mouse, <laughs> off his head with a mighty wonk sound effect, and passes out cold again. <laughs> so the issue jumps back and forth, and at this point we cut back to the present whereabouts of the rest of the League in a place that's not a place. Dr. Fate has turned the tables on the Gray Man, wanting the Gray Man to see the error of his ways. Fate's overlords, the Lords of Order, inform the Gray Man that he has, quite frankly, disappointed them. They gave him a gift of collecting dream essence from the deceased. The Grey Man has abused that, and he also disagrees on the notion of that being a gift, verbally throwing it back at the feet of the Lords of Order. They kind of reach an agreement and allow him his release, which results in fate alone observing a pile of ash plopping to the ground, that ash once known as the Grey Man. The Lords of Warner... Warner? The Lords (laughs) of Warner Brothers. (laughs) The Lords of Warner Brothers. There you go. And their lawyers. Yes, Exactly. The Lords of Order warn Fate of his tether to mortals, but they send the League back to Earth and Fate with them. Batman then demands answers of Fate, who rebukes Batman. Beetle backs up Batman's request, even threatening that if he had magic, he'd turn Fate into a new. But Fate is having nothing to do with either of them. At this point, Creeper takes his leave, to which Booster turns to Batman and says, You gotta admit, he's pretty funny. Batman disagrees, and Booster quickly changes his opinion. A little Flintstone backpedaling noise there. <laughs> Leak then return to the bug and fly back to their headquarters. Batman assigns Mr. Miracle monitor duty en route. Miracle opens the door, informing Bats that he had plans with Barda, which leads Bats to question, who's Barda? She's my wife. You know, it's very dangerous to have relationships in our line of work. And Mr. Miracle assures Batman that Barda could easily take care of the Joker with one hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, she could. Yeah.
1: And, and at this point, you know, this is, this is one of those, Parts where I'm just starting to realize how cool Mr. Miracle is.
0: Well, you know, now to think about it, Barta gets her shot at Joker in an annual. In yep. this Fuck.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then we cut back to, or not back, we cut over to the United Nations where Maxwell Lord IV is stalling for time. He's meeting with Sean Jones, but waiting for a third party. As it turns out, that third party is Oberon. And clearly, he's already had some business dealings and discussions with Maxwell Lord. Back at the mountain base, Miracle is getting an earful from Barda as he explains to her that he's stuck on monitor duty. And that gives Kevin McGuire six panels to illustrate just why he's the best at what he does. (laughs) He draws Miracle's reactions to Barda's rage. And Barda, on the other end of the phone, is standing in her kitchen, fist flailing, wearing bunny slippers. (laughs) Miracle's woes continue as Hal Jordan approaches the base, ready to give Guy Gardner a lecture about tact and presentation. Hal seems to know all about Lord's plans for the League, despite readers and the League currently being in the dark. This leads to a standard-issue Giffen nine-panel page that reveals that John has heard all about Lord's proposal for the League's, quote, new status, end quote, and he's intrigued. In the ninth panel, an off-camera, electronic voice declares the proceedings to be excellent, as readers realize the entire conversation has been observed—wait, no— monitored dun, dun, dun. a brief interlude drops superman by the white house at the request of president ronald reagan the gipper trusts the man of steel implicitly and wants to hear what superman thinks of this new league and this even gives us a little bit of humor where reagan asks superman Superman says well what do you think and reagan drops back the oh i asked you first and then back at the base captain marvel flies in updating readers and thought bubbles of his recovery from fighting john in justice league number six When he gets to the base, he finds Hal Jordan and Mr. Miracle chatting. Marvel is starstruck to meet the Green Lantern, and Scott and Hal bring Cap up to speed on why Hal's there. They don't provide any actual details of what's coming up, deftly changing the subject to Guy's new state of mind, which is, quite frankly, singing Debbie Boone and reading Cosmopolitan magazine.
0: I like with his legs crossed, too. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yep. And then after that, we've got an interlude of Jack Ryder's hot seat, which finally confirms that the league is positioning itself for international status and seeks out the opinion of Colonel Ruman Haryabti of Bialya. There you go. He responds to all of Ryder's inquiries with, It is being my pleasure here to be, Mr. Ryder. (laughs) The Conversation switches from first-person observation to a computer monitor, which is calculating the odds of the league's proposal at nil. Well, how do you adjust? nil no. As a computer, you change the odds. We switch to a satellite not unlike the monitors from Crisis on Infinite Earths, which begins to fire upon the Earth, boiling the sea. And I'm going to sling it over to you to take the rest of the issue, sir.
0: All right. Well, after that Star Trek IV reference with the probe burning the seas, Mr. Miracle and Captain Marvel respond to the Justice League trouble alert in are shock at the magnitude of the emergency. Guy Gardner also overhears the alarm and expresses his golly gee willikers concern, as well as a significant appreciation for Batman. Clearly we're getting a further glimpse into how damaged Guy Gardner is at this point. Yes, he is. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this death beam, as I'm calling it, death beam from orbit, continues to burn a path across the Indian Ocean that's two miles wide. And it travels all the way to the Pacific Ocean, which is really far, by the way, so I'm surprised how fast it travels. Anyway, it gets all the way to the Pacific Ocean and is heading on a collision course with the United States nuclear missile bases. In addition to the damage from the beam, it's also causing tidal waves, earthquakes, and volcanic eruptions. This is a mega-level event, folks. The Justice League arranges to intercept the satellite using a Star Labs shuttlecraft. Meanwhile, Maxwell Lord is concerned about the timing of this incident, and then we find out from his thoughts that Max knows what caused the emergency. The Justice League tracked the satellite and joined it in orbit. While they don't say it, I like to think that they're 22,300 miles above the Earth. Maybe that's just me. After a barrage of Star Labs missiles failed to damage the satellite, our heroes go for a spacewalk. Batman, Blue Beetle, Black Canary, Captain Marvel, Martian Manhunter, Mr. Miracle, and Booster Gold move in and try and disable the satellite. The League battles some of the defensive systems, but escape unharmed. In fact, after spotting a video camera mounted on the surface of the satellite, Batman is caught in an explosion that shreds his spacesuit. But oddly enough, Batman's fine. He should be dead from exposure to the vacuum of space, but he's fine. Something's protecting Batman, and it isn't his fellow League members. That tips off the Dark Knight detective that this might just be a setup. In fact, it is. Around the world, every news agency is running video from this battle in space showing the heroism of the justice league however no one ever stops to question where this video footage is coming from mister miracle puts it all together he's figured out what the satellite is and he floats over and actually flies right into the path of the enormous death beam itself unharmed Mr. Miracle does his best Spock in Star Trek The Motion Picture Impersonation. He flies right up towards the source of the beam, recognizes the configuration, and manages to shut off the death beam just in the nick of time. Once again, one of the cameras on the surface of the satellite captures the heroism of the League. After the whole world has seen the Justice League in action protecting the Earth from the satellite, the United States and the USSR agreed. By the way, that's Russia for you kids at home. Anyway, <laughs> they agree to back Maxwell Lord's plan as long as they can take on Captain Atom and Rocket Red Number Seven as new team members. However, we as the reader see that there's more to Maxwell Lord than meets the eye. We see this computer that Doug mentioned a moment ago, and Doug's a bit of an expert on creepy machines. Um, We see this computer watching Max's conversation and analyzing the new League members' abilities. With the whole team gathered at the United Nations building, Mr. Miracle explains that the satellite was actually a training device used on the planet New Genesis. One of its features was that it would protect anyone training if something happened to go wrong. And that's why Batman didn't die when his suit was shredded. The satellite actually protected him. Mr. Miracle also adds that the death ray was not part of the original programming and that someone must have added that on. Meanwhile, the Security Council at the United Nations debate whether to give the Justice League international status or not. Some fear that the Justice League could have too much power and the UN would have limited control. During the discussion, they're interrupted by none other than Superman. The Man of Steel would like to have a few words with the Security Council. Well, apparently Superman did the trick, because we rejoined the team, and Maxwell Lord is explaining the details to the League. The League will function as a UN-sanctioned international peacekeeping force, operating virtually independent as its own city-state with embassies around the world. This is huge! Batman doesn't trust the arrangement, and it sounds like he's shooting it down. But then Black Canary speaks up, telling Batman to stop speaking for the League. Canary likes this new arrangement, and so does Martian Manhunter, and Batman doesn't speak for all of them. Guy Gardner then shows up, having overslept, staying up all night watching this televangelist. because of course he would. And, uh, you know, we're seeing more of Guy's new positive attitude, almost like a neighborly attitude. He also shares a message that Dr. Fate is declining regular membership in this new international league, but he'll certainly be there in a crisis. You know, karmic responsibilities, don't you know? Of course. Likewise, Captain Marvel takes this moment to also resign. He loved his time with the League, but just doesn't feel like he can make the commitment to an international league. The hits just keep on coming when Batman now insists on stepping down as the team leader. He says he operates in the shadows and can't lead such a high-profile team. Now, Batman's not quitting. He's just stepping aside, so the more logical candidate may step in and lead the team, and that's Martian Manhunter. Jean Jones sees the planet as a unified whole and would be perfect for the job. With that, Maxwell Lord takes the team to the General Assembly Room to meet their public. Now, I'm going to read from you this bit directly from the comic. It says, Once upon a time, there was the Justice League of America. But that was another era, when the world could afford borders and boundaries. When heroes could claim national loyalties and feel justified in their claims. But in today's world, there's no longer room for borders and boundaries. The walls between nations have to fall if our planet is to survive. So, for the new era, a new league. And you get this fantastic hero shot of the team, with Martian Manhunter, Batman is skulking in the background, Bat- Black Canary is smiling and looking demure, Booster Gold and Mr. Miracle are waving to the crowd, Blue Beetle's taking a bow, Oberon's dressed smartly in his business suit, you know, beaming with pride, Gargardner's looking over his shoulder at the new members, Rocket Red Number 7 and Captain Atom, and Maxwell Lord is applauding the team. Together they are the Justice League International. Woohoo! Ah! Oh. Man, hell of a comic, hell of a comic. Yeah, and I gotta wonder if it might have been confusing, honestly, for someone just picking it up off the shelves, knowing that it's a big, important issue, and the beginning is all the all the Gray Man stuff. You know, the, the finishing up the previous issues' plotline.
1: It could have been, but it's handled well enough. Yeah. Except then you're kind of left scratching your head about the creeper, and you know, if you don't have in-depth DC knowledge, you don't see him as Jack Ryder later on. You just see them, you know, as two separate
0: entities, as it were. I think it's fair to say, whenever the Creeper's in a comic, I'm left scratching my head anyway. <laughs> yeah, some of us like him, though. I'm not saying I don't like him, I just don't get him. <laughs> gotcha. I love the opening bit with Guy Gardner. I mean, it's so funny because, you know, he's, he's so angry, and he's got, you know, his bags under his eyes, and his hair's all muffled, and then just you, you, and like again, it's Kevin McGuire doing a great job. You see him banging his head under the console. And how many times have we done, you know, you yourself or me, done this underneath in the kitchen, you know, under the sink and banged our head on the pipes? You know it hurts like hell. Oh and
2: yeah. Here,
0: and here, you, it, it, clearly the it all works. It knocks him out. It is hysterical.
1: Uh, only I don't think I've ever been knocked out mm. under the kitchen sink.
0: <laughs> True. Okay, but apparently Guy Gardner is terribly afraid of mice. <laughs>
1: Or at least this one.
0: Yes, exactly. He's a cute little mousey.
1: Doctor. You know, in the original, he's pink, the mouse.
0: I'm I'm looking at least at the moment at the original. Do they color him differently in the in the in the trades?
1: Flipping there now, sir. Yeah, he's gray. In the he trades.
0: is gray. You know, I got to say the colors in the trades, and and we talked a little bit about this with J. David Weeder last episode. But the colors in the trade are just so glorious, and even the digital one, they just really really pop. They did a really nice job recoloring these. Now that leads me to something else I got to bring up about the recoloring, and I don't know if you notice this or not, but going to the third page where the gray man faces the Lords of Order. Right? In the original issue, the Lords of Order are just sort of that uh, you know, orangey, reddish, pinkish blob floating there that was done in Surprint. Uh Chris Franklin mentioned that a couple episodes ago, that the secret power of the Lords of Order is that they're surprint. And if you don't know what surprint is, folks, surprint is when you do an image that has no black lines, but is in color. So in this case, the, the orange and, and red blobs are floating in the air with no black lines around them. And that's done through a process where you, you draw the image on another sheet of paper, a very thin sheet of paper. It's kind of like like when you're a kid, you probably use onion skin paper to trace. That's not what it is, but just go with me on this kind of idea. You trace it, and you draw it on this separate sheet of paper. It's called vellum, and they use that to produce this other image with no black ink. Well looks great in issue number seven, the original issue. But when you go to the trades, they added black lines around it.
1: Yeah, they did. They made it a little bit bolder. If you folks need to hear that definition of Surprint again, check out the Who's Who podcast.
0: Thanks for the plug, sir. Thank you so much. Well, I I wonder if they did it to be bolder or if they did it so they didn't have to fool with the Surprint and the extra vellum sheet, honestly. Because that extra vellum, the vellum is very uh, weak and tears and gets destroyed very easy. And so it's probably easier just to draw the stupid black lines and not have to worry about doing the serpent, as my thought. I imagine that's why they did it.
1: Probably. Or it might have just looked funny in with these bolder colors. Yeah, could be. There aren't as many gradients with the trades as there, you know, as we're accustomed to nowadays.
0: And you know, we talked about that in some of the earlier episodes. I would love to speak with the colors, and even back then, though they had access to more color gradients, but a lot of the colors are very uh, uh, flat, is the best way I can come up with. It like you know, Doctor Fate's cape is one shade of yellow the whole way down. There's no shadowing. There's no nothing. And it's fascinating. I love it. It's bold, but I, it had to be. An, intentional choice, because other comics at this time are doing more, you know, more nuanced coloring.
1: Right, right.
0: As I sit here and talk about the Surprint, I do notice in the original issue the Lords of Order were traced in black lines on subsequent pages. They only did the Surprint on the one page. Hmm. Eh, very strange. Oh, well. So I love that Dr. Fate and the Lords of Order sort of bicker. It's sort of like it's foreshadowing for the upcoming Dr. Fate miniseries, which is actually over by now, so I guess it's <laughs> actually more of a retcon? <laughs> yeah. That's how that works.
1: Who knows how that works?
0: I don't know. He's such a dick to the gray man, too. I mean, he's just patronizing him horribly.
1: Yeah, it's one of those certain point of view conversations, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Fate sees it this way.
0: Yep. he looks great, too.
1: Yeah, he looks phenomenal. This is, in my opinion, this is the best this version of Dr. Fate has looked
0: well, hold on a moment here, sir. I mean I, I love Kevin McGuire and I love Doctor Fate, but are are you putting this Doctor Fate above, say, Walt Simonson first issue special Doctor Fate? <clears throat> yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. He- uh wow, that's not, that's not a bad thing to do. It's okay to take your stand there. That's fine. Take that,
1: that image where the Justice League's all coming back, you know, mm-hmm. back to consciousness, the bottom corner where fate says it's time for us to go. Right. And just look at that. The, the lines on the ear, the attitude in the eye. I mean, that's all you get as far as fate's expression. And he's even zoomed in. But with the, the angle Maguire draws, or maybe at this point, mm-hmm. it's it's Giffen's breakdown. But the way it's composed, that's all mystery and, and imposition from Fate there. That's probably one of the most badass images of Dr. Fate ever. It, it's, it's really just impressive. just part of his helmet.
0: Well, I, I got to say, even if you just go back a page or two on the, the – I guess it's the second page. Dr. Fate is looking at the gray man. And he's sort of looking down at the gray man. He's got his head tilted forward and the shadows are on the front of the mask. Even that's an amazing picture. So – you can you can credit Giffen for the breakdowns if you want, but McGuire definitely brought it home. I mean, he did the the the, the fine line work that made that eye inside the helmet work so well. I mean, geez, OP. Oh, Pete, going back to the Simonson stuff. I love Simonson's work, but it, the helmet was almost like Dr. Fate's face here. Clearly Kent Nelson is wearing a helmet. I mean, you can see it as a article of clothing, if you will, uh, or maybe not clothing, but you know, an armor that he wears over his head. And you can see the fact that it rests on the face and the ear sticks out. It's, It is gorgeous. You're right. It is absolutely stunning. I would have killed to see more Dr. Fate by Kevin Maguire.
1: Oh, yeah. And all credit to Al Gordon for holding those lines, too.
0: Well, Al Gordon did an amazing job. Always did. Always did a great job. When the Justice League wake up, there's a great moment here. And as a kid reading this, you probably wouldn't get it. But they're all waking up and Blue Beetle's laying on the ground face down. And Black Canary is laying across him over his uh, rear end. And he says, Canary, is that you? She says, uh-huh. He goes, funny. Mother never told me it'd be like this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't deck him for that, to be honest.
1: <laughs> oh, She's probably hurting a little bit, too. <laughs>
0: probably a little bit sore, but still. Oh, my God. Like, I don't know that, you know, I probably didn't catch that joke the first couple times I read this comic. <laughs> but I was totally tickled pink last night when I read it. <laughs> And how did Batman not know that Mister Miracle's married the Dark Knight detective, the ever vigilant vanguard of Gotham City, the decisive leader of this team doesn't know every single fact about one of his team members? Yeah, I call BS. <laughs> I think Batman's pulling his chain,
1: maybe, or or just kind of making a point with the rest of the team.
0: Oh, just about how it's you know you shouldn't have attachments. Yeah, says the guy who runs around with a you know a twelve year old kid who's about to bite the dust. Exactly. <laughs>
1: But, but Batman's not married, so, you know, it's all okay,
0: right? It's all okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. So, the death beam, right, from the satellite, the like, I agree with you, it looks just like the monitor satellite. The death beam is coming from the satellite that is just tearing up the Indian Ocean. Um, did Zack Snyder direct this comic? I mean, I'm just saying. Come on now. Too soon? Too soon, okay, too soon. Definitely too soon. Okay, alright. I'm glad you really spent a few moments talking about the Mr. Miracle scene with him on the phone with Barta. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like... I don't know what your married life is like, but I have totally been in Scott's shoes before here. You know, when you're in total trouble for staying late at work or whatever it might be. And then she even goes on to say, I love this. She says, I don't understand why you had to join the Justice League in the first place. Were you that bored with? And you know she's about to say something about, you know, being at home with her or something. And it's like, that's a conversation you can't win. Oh no! Uh, Just between the dialogue and the art, that is just an absolutely perfect page. I love that. Then when they they're doing the spacewalk, you know, which is just a really cool. I first of all. These characters are um, are amazing, you know, seeing Captain Marvel out there with Batman and Black characters, because this team doesn't really hold together for very long, you know, It's it was six issues, six and a half, whatever, so you'll, when Booster came in halfway through it anyway, it's just wonderful to see these powerhouses out there together doing this, and this is great bit where Blue Beetle's goofing around, and he's saying, you know, Kirk to Spock, Kirk to Spock, come in Spock, which is fun, there's a lot of Star Trek references throughout the series I notice nowadays, but, you know, Batman's telling him to cut it out. I want you all on your toes. And <laughs> Blue Beetle says pretty hard considering we're not standing on anything. And if you look, Blue Beetle's kind of got his legs crossed, yep. like he's <laughs> lounging somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess in space, you can do that because your legs are just flailing anyway. So Exactly. <laughs> Again, very clever little thing from Kevin McGuire that probably wasn't in the script, but uh, just to, to put that little nuance in there, really nice.
1: Yeah, he does a lot of stuff like that when they start getting fired upon. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he, he gives them each different maneuvers, as it were, that kind of suit him. You know, oh. He looks one way and Booster's dodging another, and John's just standing, well, not stock still, but standing on his ground to take on the menace of those missiles.
0: I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, that's pretty clever. So what do you think of Batman inside the space helmet with his earmuffs on?
1: It's just kind of wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the funny part is Maguire drew it in such a way that you can... So, so what it is, is Batman's got the space helmet on, right, folks? And he's still wearing his cowl. And he's they're all having to wear these headsets, these giant old school earphones, like to listen to music on. And it is the, the earphones themselves are bending Batman's pointed ears down. And if you look closely in some of the panels, you can see the points are bent down underneath the headset, which is just hysterical. He looks so weird. It does. It's like that Red Robin costume that that Tim Drake, or I guess Dick Grayson and Tim Drake both wore with the black cowl. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, it looks a little reminiscent of that.
1: I'm kind of wondering, are he and Mr. Miracle and and John all wearing their capes in those spacesuits, too?
0: (laughs) Well, you know, one thing I noticed last issue is Mr. Miracle is really skilled at dropping that cape. In fact, when he's on the phone with Barda, he's not wearing it. And in the previous issue, when he had to say Black Canary, he dropped it. So I think I I would say Mr. Miracle, probably not. Batman, absolutely wearing the cape in there. He has a brand he has to focus on. Uh, He might even have a version of the cape just for spacesuits. Who knows? But Batman is very brand conscious and is not going to screw it up.
1: And coming soon, an action figure.
0: <laughs> probably. Probably. Batman with spacesuit. That would be awesome. <laughs> coming from Kenner. <laughs> old Kenner. Now, how did you feel, since you were reading this book at the time, right? So you, this was all new to you as it happened. For me, I got all of this, like, I, you know, as I read this story, I already knew where it was going. I knew they were getting the international status. How did it feel for you when you, when you heard about the whole city-state idea in the embassies? What was that like? Well, the, the
1: international thing's right on the cover. Yeah. But as I said in our summary, you don't find out until midway through that that's what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And for it to then be set up as you know, city states with embassies, it, it it opened doors that I don't know were ever fully realized. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that'll come later on. But It gave so much more potential because at this point, this book is out. Who's who is out. You have familiarity if you've got both of them that, hey, there's this Global Guardians team. And maybe we'll see some stuff in Africa or Japan or doesn't quite congeal by just slotting in Captain Adam and Rocket Red. And yeah, this was height of the Cold War. But those two, in my mind, weren't quite equal because you're taking one Rocket Red who was part of a brigade that was easily handled by the Justice League and isolating him on a team, but then taking potentially one of the more powerful members or one of the most powerful members of the the superhuman community and putting him as a counter. You know, so it it just seemed like it it didn't quite hit the mark, but it certainly at that time had lots of potential.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's fair to say the Rocket Reds, you know, at this point in history, really represented the Soviet Union more than any other character, though, regardless of the power level. When you thought of the Soviet Union in D.C., you thought of them. It's not like you would think of what, what, like Red Star at that point or anything like that.
1: Basically, he would have been the only one other than the Rocket Reds that you would have thought of.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And there's a couple other, like Hammer and Sickle, I think, but I don't know if they were even around at this point yet. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, who knows? <laughs> Maybe over in Outsiders? Is that where they came from? Or the, it Gelani?
0: The the, the the Outsiders had those guys, the people's heroes, but okay. you know, it's the Outsiders. <laughs> They're kind of in their own little pocket dimension. They're a bit like Haney's Earth B. <laughs>
1: A couple other things that I I noticed as the story was going along. Actually, I reached out to Kevin McGuire for a little clarification on this one. Uh, As as the – yeah, just through Twitter. And he he was kind enough to tweet back and let me know who we're looking at here. But as the theater is returned to Stone Ridge, Vermont – there are two gentlemen prominently drawn to the right side of the pe- of the panel, uh, top of the page in the original issue. It's page seven,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and it's still page seven everywhere else. It's just the page numbers are dropped off in the uh, the reprint. Um, and I was asking Kevin, "Who are those two?" Or is that you and Al Gordon? He said, "No, actually, it's it's Fabian Nicieza and Mark McKenna, who happened to be housemates of Kevin's at the time.
2: Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, so hey guys, can you pose for a second? I need to draw in some people.
0: That's awesome! I, you know, when I read the issue, it's sort of clearly obvious that those are supposed to be somebody, and I ha- I was going to make a note of it, and then I just moved on, but I'm really glad... That's wow, that, and that's cool that Kevin identified that for you. That's so cool! Yeah,
1: and, and Kevin does use reference for characters going through, and if you ever get a chance to talk to him at a con, he'll he'll gladly... Uh, share his ideas of well I was using Sam Neil as Max Lord or you know somebody for Booster Gold and he'll he'll regale you with stories and those all I think help drive the expressions that he just fills this series with yeah absolutely and as a matter of fact Kevin Maguire's Superman in my opinion is the closest that comics ever gets to putting Christopher Reeve in the Superman suit
2: mm. okay i can yeah. see that
1: yeah and hammering home the Kevin Maguire stuff a bit more Mr. Miracle's mask follows his and transmits his facial expressions, which (laughs) is just absolutely phenomenal.
0: He does that all the way around for every character. But the the mask, is, uh, unlike most characters who wear costumes, you know, like clearly Blue Beetle's goggles, we've seen that where, you know, he reaches up and wipes the tears away under his goggles. Everyone else is wearing a costume. It seems like, like you said, Mr. Miracles, though, his costume gets to transmit the expressions, as you said. It's, it's, it's interesting that he made that difference for him.
1: And, and if you look at the original Kirby stuff, there's, there is no level of transparency with Miracles' mask. It's very rigid, very almost like a potato sack. With holes
0: cut in it. Oh, interesting! Yeah, I wonder why he made that conscious decision. Because the other character, you know, some other characters wear masks and stuff too. I mean, um, I think it was Mike Gillis that pointed out. You know, Mr. Mr. Miracle's mask even goes up into his nostrils and his lips and stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know that a- apocalyptic and apocalyptian technology,
0: unstable like molecules. The- yeah,
1: <laughs> antigenesis from Mir- Miracle's perspective, I suppose.
0: There we go. Nice. Uh, Such a pretty book. And I like seeing Mr. Miracle and Captain Marvel do stuff together because their costumes complement each other really nicely, both with reds and yellows. Okay.
1: Mr. Miracle and Captain Marvel and Hal Jordan, the three of them just together on those two pages. Mm -hmm. That's like action figure dream come true right there. (laughs) Um, Those those are just some wonderful, vibrant characters sharing space. And, And the colors all just work together. And it's just so much. It's so playful. Yeah. That at this point, superpowers figures were kind of waning.
0: Yes, but definitely.
1: Those three were at least represented in the line. And, you know, some kids somewhere could have been recreating that scene. I'm not saying it was me because I certainly didn't have Mr. Miracle. <laughs> but, uh, those characters together certainly present a, a nice visual.
0: Well, I have, in my office here, I have three shelves. Actually, I have five shelves. Two shelves are dedicated to the Justice Society of America, full of action figures representing all the, J- the classic JSA. And then I have three shelves representing the Justice League. One shelf sort of like your classic League. One's your... Satellite League and the last one is my International League. And I've got I've got Booster Gold, I've got Blue Beetle. All, the whole the whole International League is there. But you're right, seeing Mr. Miracle and Captain Marvel together there is just very powerful. Now, Hal Jordan's a couple shelves above and that's fine cuz I'm not a big Hal Jordan fan, but it is like an action figure paradise with these guys. They just look awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah they do.
0: It's such a great issue and the the whole embassy thing for me just it's such a great concept, the Justice League concept, and get, giving them a new playground to reach out to, and you know, which obviously spins off into Europe and all that. I don't know if they were even thinking that far at this point, thinking right. about spinoffs or not. But it really expanded the book so much more. And you know, in the '80s, the world was just feeling smaller, and whether it was 24-hour news channels, I don't know what it was, but the world felt smaller at that point. And uh, it, this was a great example of that for the time. Yeah, it was. All right. Well, anything more we want to say about the comic? Uh...
1: Other than what we've already said, which is this is a great comic.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it
1: really is. I mean, taken by itself, taken in the series, taken as the conclusion of the first arc, it's any way you take it, it's, it's great.
0: All right. I do have one more question for you. As right. someone that was reading the book at the time, Guy Gardner. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. change here from yes. from who he was before to what he is now. How what was that like at the time?
1: I found it to be quite comical actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. Guy made that horrible first impression. Mm-hmm. You oh, know, yeah. in Justice League 1 and to the the one punch uh, was just a personal point of enjoyment, uh, a peak if you will. Mm-hmm. That, you know, then seeing guy switch personalities where I this this per- new personality played out a little too long in my opinion, but It was about it, a year. Yeah. Yeah, but in this issue,
0: perfect. It's funny. I Again, coming at it as someone who did it after the fact, I initially wasn't a big fan of it. I didn't like Guy acting this way because I, I liked my Guy Gardner bold and brash. And I would read these issues and I'd be like, oh, this is that weird period where he was all messed up, right? And That's then once you read JLI from beginning to end – the progression is just beautiful and seamless. Well, not seamless, but you know, it's, it's a nice progression and you go along with the story and you, the contrast of where Guy was to what he becomes here is obviously very purposeful and you actually enjoy Guy and he's funny in his weird, quirky way and you don't hate it. And then when he reverts, it's just such a payoff. You know, it's, it's just a, an amazing payoff when he reverts back to who he was. And uh, it, it totally works when you read it within context,
1: right? Definitely, yeah.
0: All right. Well, let's move on to the house ads real quick. There were three house ads that are worth mentioning real quickly. There was the World of Krypton, billed as the rest of the story, and this features uh, John Byrne work with Mike Mignola and uh, Rick Bryant. And this was the first of three different miniseries that were going to be launching: you know, a World of Krypton, World of Metropolis, or World of Smallville, World of Metropolis. And uh, it's a really great looking ad. John Byrne doing his best, you know, really showing. Krypton, I I love that sort of sterile Krypton imagery he did, you know, the Krypton man type look. I'm a fan of it.
1: And the Krypton Speedos.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, that's a thing. That's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's a conscious choice. Exactly. <laughs> then we have a really uh, moody and emotional sort of ad for a comic called *Wasteland*, which a lot of people don't necessarily remember. It is. It says, "Warning: Reading these stories and I'm sorry, read these stories and tremor from mortal terror of the most dangerous kind." And it's all in black, but it's got like a, a window, and it's showing you like you know, like when uh, the light is shining through a window on the ground. It's showing you that, except the light shining through the window on the ground is actually shattered. The light itself is shattered, almost like the window itself shatters. The a little creepy, a little unnerving. And it's uh, the series uh, stories were written by Del Close and John Ostender, drawn by David Lloyd, William Messner Loeb, Donald Simpson, and Bruce Patterson. It was a new deluxe series, which would feature three chilling stories in each issue.
1: And at this point, William Messner Loebs had not really made his bones as a writer. He's still just trying to make his place in the comic industry and is actually more known at at this time as an artist.
0: That's wild. Because, I mean, his flash run's just around the corner at this point. Yeah. And I love his flash run. Absolutely love it. And you get John Ostrander writing with Del Close, which is a friend of his. I guess, uh, if I remember correctly, they had met in Chicago on the, uh, I think, the improv circuit because Del Close was a comedian. And Ostrander and Del Close worked together on this and is one of John Ostrander's favorite things he's done. I mean, to this day, he still talks about this book. And I don't think it lasted terribly long. And, I, you know, I don't know that I've ever seen any issues in, like, a 50-cent bin or anything.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I've ever even seen any issues.
0: I mean, I must have seen, I, I just don't remember. I may have to seek that out now. Huh. Good luck. Right. And last one to mention is Underworld. Uh, and it's it's where the sidewalk ends, their story begins, where out-of-the-ordinary cops deal with the out-of-ordinary crime. And it's uh, it's set in the DC Universe, but it involves your straightforward police officers. It's sort of a precursor, I guess, to Gotham... Uh, uh, Gotham Central. Gotham Central. That's what it was called. Duh. Written by Robert Lauren, Lauren Fleming, and art by Ernie Colon, a four-issue miniseries, also premiering in September of that year. It's a striking image. It's got a police officer who's shot and he's down on the ground it's very it's it's kind of graphic there's a lot of blood splattering um it's you know sort of moving
1: except this ad needs more lady cop
0: (laughs) wow there's a reference for the firewater podcast network everything needs more lady cop that's fair to say i mean that just goes without saying (laughs) all right folks i think from there we're going to move on to our next segment which is character spotlight This is where we ask the guests to share some thoughts on one of the characters from this issue. Not really an origin recap, unless you're Diablo Frank, apparently. But uh, most of most really where these characters were in the DC Universe just before joining the JLI. What kind of impact the JLI had on their lives and career, during or afterwards. And uh, we're going to start off, Doug, if you would, would you please cover um, everyone's favorite, Miss Wootenhofer. Oh, yeah. Sweetie, (laughs) sweetie. Actually, probably not a lot to say about her at this point. Yeah. So, really, instead, why don't you? Um, I don't know. Why do you just cover Doctor Fate or something?
1: All right, I, I, Doctor Fate, sure. Um, aside from creating mortal enemies among everybody by saying that was the definitive image of Doctor Fate early in this issue, <laughs> yeah, guys, it's late. Cut me a little slack, just a little, just a little. No, um, no doubt, uh, Doctor Fate's inclusion within Justice League and Justice League International is based on his presence in the superpowers toy line. Uh, So Dr. Fate came into the series with the first issue. He's right there to Guy Gardner's right on that first cover. But then he disappears before really contributing anything and never really becomes a team member. Parallel to Fate's non-participation with the League, Giffen and Dematteis have produced or are in the midst of producing a four-issue miniseries that changed Fate's relationship with the Lords of Order. And that actually, as Shag touched on earlier, kind of works as a retcon, a side con, a con con or something <laughs> to what's going on here in the conversation that, uh, uh, Fate has with the Lords of Order. So in that series, Nabu is removed from the equation, Nabu being the Lord of Order that inhabited, uh, Kent Nelson and, and gave him the power of Dr. Fate. And Naboo winds up sh- being shunted into Kent Nelson's, at that point, deceased body. <laughs> and Eric and eventually his stepmother, Linda Strauss, are empowered by empowered as fate by Naboo. And after that, or I'm actually saying it like the Star Wars planet there, aren't I? <laughs>
0: Nabu, uh, no, Nabu. That oh, uh, that yeah, Nabu, Nabu. Oh, they are say the same, aren't they? More, more, more. There, Naboo, there you Naboo. go.
1: <laughs> so, at this point, I believe this is the last time that we actually see the Kent Nelson Nabu in control of the helm of Fate prior to Zero Hour. Uh, there might be a flashback issue in what I'm actually going to talk about next, which is the biggest benefit from Doctor Fate's uh, appearance in the Justice League, and that is coupled with the success of the miniseries. Uh, we wind up getting a, a solo series for Fate that runs for 41 issues. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, William messner takes over some writing chores at, uh, of Flash, and eventually he does find his way to that Dr. Fate series as
0: well. Now, uh, that series, just so you know, I mean, folks at home, that series is legendary, and mainly because they printed a bunch of my letters in the back. <laughs> After issue 24, I, I wrote in actually on issue 24 on uh, Dematteis's last issue, just how much I loved it. I don't know. I, I was such a fanboy. They ended up printing a bunch of my letters in Dr. Fate throughout the years. So there you go. So
1: you, you were one of three people that wrote in? You and Uncle Elvis and T.M.
0: Maple? Perhaps. It's quite possible. <laughs> I may have been. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? It was my... It, my, my fanboy duty to write into a book that I love. That's what it was.
1: And just because this is the Justice League podcast, the Bwahaha cast, I'm going to say, you said duty. <laughs> anyway, the uh, the Linda Strauss fate returns in Justice League America number 31, but she doesn't uh, doesn't exactly linger.
0: Dude, are, are you forgetting? They appear long before that in Justice League International number 10.
1: Well, I, I forgot uh, the... S- Simonson fade earlier, so yeah, I guess I did maybe well, overlook Justice League number
0: ten. I can give you an excuse for that though. It's because it's a millennium crossover. There you go. And and by the way But oh, wait,
1: that means there's robots
0: <laughs> running amok. <laughs> you know the I, I forgot to mention earlier the letters page of this issue, number seven, is just Full of promotion for the upcoming Millennium story, and it makes it sound like it's going to be amazing. Oh, those poor souls!
1: Oh, it it it. Uh, wait, no, it wasn't. It's
0: it's something to be seen. I'll give you that much, but uh, and there are people that do love Millennium, and we might even hear from some of them before this podcast is over. Uh, not tonight, but I mean in general before we get to the end of the run. So we'll have to see.
1: Wow, <laughs> those poor people. <laughs> They're delusional. Exactly. Wait, is that Ryan Daly? <laughs> no. All right. Uh, well, so,
2: he, he is delusional, though, quite frequently.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. Uh, eventually, uh, Zirar comes along and, and crosses paths with fate, and that changes the helmet of fate. But that's another story for another pod podcast, most likely the Lords of Order podcast. There you uh, go. Certainly not something that we're going to cover here. So that's that's your character spotlight on Dr. Fate in and around Justice League International number 7.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that. Thank I you. love I love Dr. Fate. I love the character so much. I love the classic version. I love the Eric and Linda Strauss version. I'll jump forward uh, in a version or two and say I love the later versions after that. <laughs> the Hector Hall version. Yeah, I'm not I'm not big on the one in the middle there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what but about the uh, the series where the Helmet of Fate is just kind of bouncing
0: around? Uh, the the five issue miniseries that's yeah. a lot of fun yeah and then he ends up on what Kent V Nelson I think but, you know even though you just said we're not going to talk about all this I, I can't help it I'm such a uh, such a fanboy for Doctor Fate I absolutely love that character he is absolutely one of my favorites and I'm glad you mentioned superpowers because that's where I fell in love with Doctor Fate as well it was the superpowers second miniseries actually when they're on Easter Island and you know Firestorm's in it that's why I picked up that miniseries because Firestorm was in it but then I found Doctor Fate I'm like this guy's awesome. And uh, I've been in love with the character ever since.
1: Yeah, the visual of the figure is what struck me first. I think that's my first encounter with Fate.
0: They did such a great job in that Superpowers line. I mean, it, it, the characters look really good. Doctor Fate's helmet looks totally boss. Yeah, yeah,
1: they, those really should be, you know, handed out to children as they're born.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> There's a company making like 12-inch versions right now.
1: Yeah, I know. I saw uh, they've got a Hawkman one that was in the most recent previews, and I, I've held off on ordering the whole line, but I'm not going to be able to avoid that Hawkman.
0: I, I wonder if they'll go past the first wave into the other waves, because if they do, that means they're going to do Dr. Fate and Firestorm, which would be
1: yeah. incredible. Yeah, it would be.
0: All right. We can sit here and talk about action figures all night. we got to get moving on, because we've got something very, very important to discuss. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the much beloved Wahaha Award. This is where we nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Both myself and the guest are going to pick a moment, and then we're going to debate which one's right. By the way, it's usually me. And then we're going to award that moment the coveted Wahaha Award. Doug, unfortunately, you're the guest, so why don't you go first? Alrighty.
1: Mine is, is really simple it's one panel towards the end of the issue after Mr. Miracle stops the death ray. You get close up of uh, Beetle and and John as they're in space and Beetle shouts out, he did it. And John adds on and sacrificed his life in the bargain. Rest well, Mr. Miracle. You shall not be forgotten. And then off panel you read. Well, I would hope not. Hi, fellas. Nice night for a celebration. Don't you think? Which Beetle replies, "Pipe down, Scott. We're eulogizing you right there.
0: (laughs) I could see that. Doing his own eulogy. I can see that. That's a good one. Mine is a little more uh, involved. It is earlier in the issue. It's when they've come back from the Dr. Fate's Little Dimension thing. And we talked about this panel, this page quite a bit. It's where Scott's on monitor duty, talking on the phone with Barda. And she is just tearing into him. And as you said, it's got some of the greatest Kevin McGuire artwork. You know, he's cr- literally cringing from the phone as his wife's screaming at him. She's standing there in the kitchen. It is such a bizarre contrast. Big Barda, who's this, you know, enormous warrior, strong female character in the suburban setting of a kitchen wearing bunny slippers. <laughs> and then she goes on to say uh, he's talking about Batman making him do monitor duty. And she says, Batman makes Granny Goodness look like a saint. <laughs> And they get into that whole bit where we talked about why he joined the league in the first place, and you know that he just he can't win that argument. And in the end, she smashes the phone and says she's going to squash Oberon like a bug. So that that page for me is what I think is worthy of the Blahaha Award. Now here's where we got to duke it out. What do you think, Doug? Oh, you know what? I
1: I will completely agree with you on this one.
0: Oh, really? But, you know, I, I was that that part was
1: covered in my recap, so I've already talked about it once. So I was going for something <laughs> a little different. Okay. But yeah, Scott uh, pulling away from the phone there. I mean, we've all done that. Right?
2: Oh yes, we I mean, have.
1: I, I'm saying that with complete confidence that my wife won't be listening to this episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to be sending her a private message now. There you go. <laughs> Well, I, uh, I guess one way or another, Mr. Miracle was going home with this Blaha Award.
1: Indeed. Yep. Yeah.
0: All right, Scott. Well, congratulations. Scott and Barta, I should say. You have won this issue's Blaha Award. Carry it with pride. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you. Oh. Well, Doug, um, I was a little nervous about this all night, actually. I've been kind of rolling it through my head, and I, I guess it's best to just come out with it. I appreciate you coming out tonight. And in addition to covering JLI number seven... This is also a bit of an intervention. Um, sorry to blindside you with this. I, I, I'm going to need you to step over uh, over there into the conference room for a little bit. Dimitri and Elron, they're waiting for you. They've prepared a little presentation they'd like to show you about where to draw the line with your love for machines. It's a sickness, Doug, and they want to help you.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Is, is this about the, the USB ports? Oh, oh my,
0: oh God. Um, Doug, it's that and so much more. So here, just go, go through there. Okay. And we'll, we'll get you back in just a bit. I'm sorry, folks. I really didn't want you guys to have to hear that, but it's, it's really, it's for the best. Doug's getting help now. And, and that's all we can really uh, be thankful for. Well, Doug's learning uh, appropriate and inappropriate machine love. Uh, I'm going to take a moment to read your listener feedback in a segment called Justice Log. Okay, folks, before we get to your feedback, I do have a little bit of, I don't know if it's exactly news, but something to share. It's a personal story, really. Recently, I was on a road trip, and you might remember a few episodes back, I mentioned there was a variant cover for DC's new Justice League No. 1. Now, this is part of their whole rebirth initiative. Well, that variant cover was drawn by the amazing Kevin Maguire and was an homage to the first issue of his own Justice League No. 1. Obviously, the Justice League International series that we're celebrating here. Now, this particular variant cover was a retailer exclusive, and you can only get it from BuyMeToys.com. Well, just a few weeks back, I was actually in their store, which is just outside of South Bend, Indiana. I spent the afternoon there with my buddies Luke Dobb and Ben Avery, and it was such an amazing store with zillions of cool toys, comics, collectibles, you name it. And the owners were so incredibly friendly. Folks, visit the shop yourself or support them online. You can get your copy of Justice League Number no. 1, variant cover by Kevin McGuire. They also have a cool limited edition black and white version showing off Kev McGuire's awesome art. So check it out at BuyMeToys.com. So, as we always say, find us on the social medias, hashtags pound FW podcasts. On Twitter, it's at JLI Podcast and Facebook's Justice League International Blah ha, ha Podcast and that's where a lot of the feedback I'm going to be reading today comes from and really as I've been saying it's all about building a community of online JLI fans around this show and remember if you're outside the United States let me know because we will assign you the appropriate embassy it's good to know too because if you're international we have to filter iTunes properly to see your reviews speaking of which let's get to your iTunes reviews and these iTunes reviews are so important because they really help raise the profile of the show and it helps with all of iTunes out algorithms. And if you put Justice League in the search box, we come up a lot higher in the results than we used to. So it's clearly it's working. Uh, We're going to read the entire reviews as a thank you for dynamo mars from trick-or-treat radio dynamo wrote in to say perfect a great look at my favorite comic of all time shag knows his stuff and the show is as fun and welcoming as of the book huh. thank you dynamo i appreciate that then we heard from mountain flower one pretty sure that's what it actually says in the birth certificate anyway they wrote never interested until now i was never interested in the justly international comic but after hearing about this podcast through the firewater podcast network i gave it a listen I'm so glad i did Shag and his guests are enthusiastic and informative. I've begun to appreciate this era of the Justice League. They not only discuss in detail the JLI issues, but also take time to delve into the various characters' histories, as well as explaining what is happening in the characters' individual stories across the DCU during the JLI era. Great fun to listen to, and the extra material on the website makes this podcast complete. Altogether, a well-made endeavor worth following. A+. Wow! Thank you, Mountain Flower. That's incredibly kind. So, folks, if you haven't left us a review on iTunes, please take a moment to hop out there leave a review. It would really be appreciated. Now, the rest of the comments I'm going to be pulling from our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com, things that came in through email, things that came in through social media. Now, I'm just going to be reading bits and pieces because there's so much feedback. You guys are amazing and so supportive and just so passionate about the JLI. I can't read everything you guys have written. So I'm just going to be kind of highlighting bits and pieces from what everyone wrote in. And remember, we're going to be covering two different issues and feedback this time, so we're going to of comments specific to Justice League Annual number one, which we covered with Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network. And then we're going to cover the feedback from Justice League number six, which uh, with our guest J. David Weeder from the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. So, first up, feedback from the Annual. Rob Kelly wrote in uh, Rob's my podcasting life mate from the Firewater Podcast Network. He does the Film and Water Podcast, the Pod Dylan Podcast, the upcoming Treasury Comics Podcast, and there's a website for that. The Power Records Podcast, and a website. Aquaman and Firestorm Podcast, Who's Who Podcast, and the Aquaman Shrine website. Jeez. <sighs> After all that, I feel like Mikey in the Goonies. You know, I need—I feel like I need my inhaler. Jeez, Rob, get a life, will you? Anyway, Rob wrote in to say, Fun episode. I remember buying this comic off the stands, and also thinking, Jeez, Manhunter looks pretty cool with Dr. Fate's helmet on. I would agree, Rob. He does. We heard from Jose Rivera. Jose wrote in to say, Bill Willingham is one hell of an artist. Also, it was interesting to hear that this story paid off later in the Martian Manhunter miniseries. Love that you're covering the annuals. I can't wait to talk about the one with the Joker, as it has one of my favorite Batman moments ever. I can't wait to talk about it either, Jose. Then we heard from Ryan Daly from the Firewater Podcast Network. He does shows like Secret Origins. He has a new show coming up called It's Midnight, the Podcasting Hour. The Power of Fishnets, Gimme Those Star Wars. And he was the key grip during the production of the movie Jersey Girl and a past guest on this show. Ryan takes issue with a certain line I say all the time. I say, I hate you with the passion of a thousand burning suns. Well, he wrote in to say, we've had this conversation before. Quote, I hate you with the white-hot intensity of a thousand suns, is a line Diane says to Sam in the second season episode of Cheers. Thank you for correcting me, Ryan. I don't care. I will continue to get it wrong. Really appreciate your input, buddy. They were heard from Chris Franklin, also part of the Firewater Podcast Network. He's on the Supermates Podcast, where they're currently doing their House of Frankenstein Halloween Spectacular episodes, and the Power Records Podcast, and a past guest on this show. He wrote in to say, This was a fun annual. As I was a fan of the early days of the book, and the balancing between action and lunacy, this one stands out as one of their better straightforward adventures. Frank pointing out how Batman wasn't too smart when it came to protecting the team did make me want to rethink the whole affair, however. Willingham's art was solid, and now I can definitely detect a strong early Marshall Rogers influence, especially on the page where Mr. Miracle saves himself from that fall. Of course, Rogers drew that short-lived Miracle revival in the late 70s. Awesome. David A. is wrote in. He's the executive producer of the Pod Dylan podcast. He says, I never thought I'd say, Hey, I miss when Shag talks. And then you did this episode. He described Frank as a living bottle of Mountain Dew. And he says... <laughs> God, that's cruel. He wrote in to say, glad you reprinted the panel from the Mayfair game. For years, that was one of my favorite Black Canary illustrations. I am, I gotta say, this is Shaq, I am astounded how many people also remember that illustration of Black Canary from the Mayfair game. It's it's really quite shocking. I thought it was just me. Bradley Nell wrote in to say, I love this episode. I remember the issue was my favorite. This issue caused much drama in my life. An argument over where it fit in regular continuity was one of the first times I saw comic fanboys actually get in a fist fight. I still love the story, but it's forever attached to a fan on fan violence for me. <laughs> <laughs> they had a fist fight over the continuity of this issue. That is totally insane. So uh, that's great. I love it. It's a. Uh, it's an incredible memory. Then we heard from Jimmy McGlinchey at our Irish embassy. He says, after that incident with John Jones, detailed in this podcast, the embassy here has been issued a thousand surgical masks with a note, please wear when Martian Manhunter visits. Very strange. <laughs> he goes on to say, I first read the annual in the trade paperback, The Secret Gospel of Maxwell Lord. In that trade paperback, the annual was actually the first story in the book, followed by issues 8 through 12. It also had a handy notes from Kevin Dooley explaining what happened at each stage. For example, the, this annual took place between 4 and 5, and Guy Gardner gained a personality after issue 7. Millennium happened. Little things like that. Looks like, from what you said, the annual was placed at the end of the trade paperback and subsequent printings. Well, the story was very good, and to be honest, the humor was about the same level as the early episodes. It was only later issues that the humor quotient went way up. Willingham's art looks to me as if it was aping Kevin Maguire style, if, if you squinted. You could almost think it was a Maguire book. This probably had to do with the details Giffen put into the breakdowns. I don't know. I think you're the first person who thinks it looks like McGuire, and that's okay. You're allowed to be wrong. So, then we heard from Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians podcast, Podcast Ala Vista podcast, the Hex and Violence podcast, and a previous guest on this show. And I'm happy to say I got a chance to meet Mike face-to-face just recently, and he's only about 70% as frightening as I expected. Mike wrote in to say, I want to vouch for Frank's in-stock trades recommendation. Deadly class is really, really good. I'm really considering picking it up. Then we heard from FKA Jason, who's Jay Jones from the Silver and Gold podcast, the Splitting Atoms blog, and, well, just wait a moment and you'll find out. He says, I found Frank's brief comments about Wild Dog most enlightening. I've never been able to put into words the problem I had with the character after the miniseries wrapped up, and then he nails it. Well, of course he did. He's Frank. It was kind of strange to hear Wild Dog come up in this podcast, as the character has no connection to the Justice League. But it was a real aha moment for me. I only wish I'd come to the same conclusion he did myself. I'll discuss more of it on my upcoming miniseries, Wild Pod, a Wild Dog podcast. Shameless plug. More on that in the weeks to come. That's awesome, Jay. Way to find your niche there. Absolutely nothing like bandwagon riding after uh, the announcement that it's going to be on Arrow soon. Good job. Then we heard from Paul Hicks from the Australian Embassy, and he's with the Waiting for Doom podcast, which is all about Doom Patrol. And, you know, after all their bitching and complaining, now they only have to wait about a month in between issues of Doom Patrol. So hopefully that made them a little happy. He writes in to say, That's actually a pretty good rendition of the Sydney Harbor Bridge, way better than that was done in the Invasion tie-ins in like, Starman. Frank is wrong, though. Love saying that. The Sydney Harbor Bridge is just as iconic and, and, and recognizable, and geographically, it's quite easy to include it with the Opera House in the same shot. Uh, and then Frank wrote in to say, I had to Google Sydney Harbor Bridge and still don't know it from any other bridge. So, no, your embassy does not get to unilaterally decide how rock stupid and ignorant the rest of the world is about Australia, especially how ignorant Texans are. <laughs> Uh, right there with you frank i have no idea what the sydney harbor bridge is so apparently we're just as ignorant in florida heard from dead robin from the pulp the pixel podcast he says i hated this annual when it came out it was so early in the book and i was still struggling with the dramatic shift in tone from my beloved detroit league to the Boahaha ha era this issue compounded that struggle because I felt like they were trying to appease fans of the traditional league with ramped-up action, but wanted fans of the new book to get their fix, too. I was a kid picking this book up off the sprinter rack, and the shifts in tone this wide didn't feel like broad and varied storytelling, but instead like a lack of direction. Upon retread, it's still not great. While I love when Willingham draws, his style doesn't work here. There's some nice panels, but overall it isn't a great chapter in the run. Huh, I'm sorry I felt that way, Dead Robin. Lucien Desarr said, Great episode. I have to get the hard copy of this issue since the second volume of the graphic novel is out of print and it's about $35 in the open market. It is cheaper to hunt down the issues by issues for that price. Diablo, Fr- really? Wow. I can't believe it costs that much. You can probably get it cheaper digitally. And then he goes on to say, Diablo Frank is such a grumpy smurf. <laughs> Heard from Tim Price, he goes, There were comments before and after in the letters page that this was intentionally like a classic JLA serious story, splitting it into teams of two and doing a little nostalgia there. Not my favorite JLA story, but still enjoyed it, and is hooked on Willingham's art. Hey, how can you not like Dr. Light knocking Guy in his butt with one palm heel strike? (laughs) Nice. He says, So everyone listening to this show bought that Mayfair sourcebook, too? I thought I was the only one. I love this community. Oh, question for the group. How did the people in the meat puppet not get squished when it walked and punched the ground? There's hundreds of people, and the ones on the bottom of the feet should have been crushed by the weight. Or maybe I'm overthinking. Still, more reasons this monster gives me the wheelies. Ew. Thanks for that, Tim. I never really thought about that. The people on the bottom would get squished and and just get crushed when you know, they bend the elbow joints and things like that. And that's really disgusting and makes it even grosser. So thanks, man. That's, uh, that's a little nightmare fuel right there. Then I heard from Michelle Fief, who is a comics professional, previously writer on books like All New Ultimates, and he's working on his own creation now called Copra. He writes in to say, there was another group of individuals trapped in one monstrous being a few months before this issue, The Host, which debuted in John Byrne's Superman number 5 and 6. Gosh, I guess that was kind of a thing at the time. Then he goes on to say he's a huge Mark Badger fan who deeply loves the way the Martian Manhunter miniseries looks. Very cool. You know, it's on my agenda of things to review, so I look forward to seeing that now. Moving on to comments from Justice League number six, heard from Jose Rivera. He says, looking at the images on the gallery post, the digital coloring really makes everything pop. I love the look of Captain Marvel with gray hair and yellow eyes. It's so menacing. I may have the entire run physically. I may need to buy them at comiXology just to see the new coloring process. Wow. As for the Doc Savage ad, I think I have an answer for that, because for years, this ad puzzled me, too. He goes into a little explanation, then he says, Looking at the character in this picture, and going by the clothes and the hair, I think that's supposed to be Doc's grandson, Chip Savage, and this is supposed to be for the four-part miniseries, The Silver Pyramid. Chip was the modern-day hero, hence the sneakers and the phone, but the ad is very misleading. Got to do more research on this, though uh that's jose's guess. for those of you who read the doc savage miniseries i'd be interested to hear what you know then we heard from mark lax he says batman seems to want to put one of those leashes on the justice league members and lead them around like lost children he's the smartest guy in the room but his head is too big for the cowl black canary is as funny as her costume and mr miracle just loves those strong tough women (laughs) and then he notices he says hey was Hal wearing a yellow watch in the same hand he had his ring on odd Dude, I went back and looked at that mark. You were absolutely right. In issue number six, Hal Jordan's wearing a watch, and the watch is yellow and it's on the same wrist as his ring that's insane. you know maybe it's just maybe it's like some sort of subtext telling us that you know maybe Hal's weakness is time or to keep going on, maybe it's not time, maybe it's age and that could explain his uh, really creepy relationship with Arezzi at that time. just saying. Heard again from Mike Gillis. Oh, actually, Mike and Diablo Frank and Dr. Ange got in this big debate about who was the best James Bond. Because we talked about the Living Daylights last time. So, good stuff, guys. And it's uh, Sean Connery, just to let you know. And yes, uh, GoldenEye was a good movie. So, then Dr. Ange continues. He does the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary. He says, Creeper, how can so many people who seem to know so much about comics not get the Creeper? That dude is just awesome. Seriously. Then he goes on to say, Black Canary's costume. How can so many people who seem to know so much about comics not like this version of Canary's costume? I love, love this costume. It's too good. Then Tim Price chimed in. He, ma- he made a really good observation. On that first spa- splash page in issue number six, it shows the whole team except there's no Black Canary. The guys are there, and Creeper's there, but no canary. So, great job noticing that, Tim. I had not picked up on that. Heard from Chris Franklin again. He says, I personally wonder if Captain Marvel's early dismissal from the Justice League International was his last great chance to get back his popularity from the 1970s during his TV run. If they spun a new ongoing out of JLI, think what that might have been. Even if they'd kept him on the team until breakdowns and then did the Power of the Shazam original graphic novel in the series, the mind boggles. And yeah, that gray-haired, yellow-eyed, big red cheese was actually frightening. Then heard from Gene Hendricks, who does the Hammer Strikes podcast, the Legends of the Superhero podcast, which he still hasn't asked me to be part of, and many, many more shows on the wonderful Two True Freaks podcast network. In in last episode, Dave Weeder uh, got caught in the teleporter, you might remember, and Gene was clever enough to realize where that sound effect came from, and with a little bit of a wink and a nod, he correctly identified as Star Trek The Motion Picture where I stole that sound effect from, so... Good job. Then we heard from Santarin from our Denmark embassy, and he says, Hey Shag, I give you points for the bat wing guess. The points are from where the phalanges are. And he sent a, a graphic of an image, a diagram of a bat with their skeletal structure, and I talked about the points on the Batman symbol, and sure enough and sure enough, the points are where the phalanges are. So look at that. I was kind of sorta right about something doesn't happen very often. Heard from Jimmy McGlinchey again. He says, Irish embassy calling, wondering about two memos. The first is from the Health and Safety, saying that in the future, all people who enter the transporter must wear pants. And the second from Lost and Found, saying that a Conway Twitty singing colon has been found and will the owner collect it immediately, as it is sick of being asked to take the dare. (laughs) <laughs> and he says uh, there were some excellent lines from Black Canary in this issue I felt she was really coming into her own as a character in these issues and it was a pity that she had to be pulled I wonder if like Captain Marvel and Dr. Fate was she a loner to the JLI It was always meant to be pulled or did the events of Longbow Hunters meant that she had to be taken out of the JLI to properly deal with the consequences of that um Jimmy, I would suspect, this is Shag, I would suspect it was probably not that she was uh, on loan, is that probably what happened in Logbo Hunter? sort of prevented her from uh, going any further with this book, I would think. And he says, uh, on a more serious note, though, with all the talk of characters being pulled out of the JLI, does Shag think that Firestorm of this era would have been a good fit for the JLI, or would the events of his own book preclude him from being a member? Uh, wow, that's a heck of an interesting question. Firestorm, when, when JLI started, Firestorm was still in his sort of classic mode of Professor Stein and Ronnie they could have been interesting for an issue or two. I think he, uh, what would have been funny was Firestorm was always like the young guy in the old satellite JLA area, and he would have been interesting to see in this combination he probably would have been the one more interested in following the rules compared to the rest of the team. He would have been like, this isn't the way we d- used to do it. He would have been, I guess, probably more like Hawkman became eventually. You know, he would have wanted them to follow the way the old JLA was. And then, once Firestorm transformed into the blank slate version, which wasn't too far down the line of this series, probably by issue five or six, then the blank slate version would not have fit in with other. This League at all. So it's probably for the best if Firestorm didn't end up in this league. As much as I love the character and I love this book, uh, they're probably two great tastes that wouldn't have tasted great together. Then he goes on to say, on the feedback, well, my feedback was the only one that did not get the one punch sound effect. It may seem strange one punch, but I really wanted that one punch sound effect one punch. One punch means one hopes that Shag will rectify this one punch oversight and give me that one punch sound effect. One punch. <laughs> I hate you. Then Tim Price wrote back in again to say, Black Canary definitely stole the show in issue number six. Yes, I love the jazzer Size costume, and I'm all with Shag. Canary is a beautiful woman, and McGuire makes her look amazing, which makes all the more heartbreaking that her time with the team doesn't last. Then he goes on to say, I have to say, the meanwhile and house ads parts of the show have become a surprising favorite trip for me. What is trip down memory lane. While well, poking fun at Slash, Maraud, and Silverblade, it is interesting to remember that this period, DC also publishing things like Kimlot 3000... Watchmen and Swamp Thing, delving into mature readers' comics, not for kids. It was like their first baby steps to launching Vernaga. It was an amazing time indeed. And he says, I'm sorry if my posts tend to be a bit long or rambling or disjointing. I have so much love for this series and this period of comics. I just have so much to say. Probably makes me the nort of this community. Ooh, Tim, that's a label I don't think you want to get, sir. <laughs> then we heard from bradley null who was reading this book as it was being published and so he says i don't remember how we all knew or figured out that the justice league was about to gain an eye as an in international however i know but that by the time the issue hit the stands the information had leaked it was pre-internet so that wasn't it hmm. Dean Jones from our Paris Embassy, he wrote in in a previous episode talking about how uh, Batman had gotten his revenge in a Green Lantern Rebirth comic over the infamous punching situation. And then Dean goes on to say that, correct the statement, he was saying this was during the Green Lantern Rebirth story from 2004 to 2005. I misunderstood and said it was the current Rebirth series. So maybe I think that just tells me that DC uses the word Rebirth a little too much, sort of like the word Crisis. Then we heard from Gord Tolton, who wrote in and wrote a very nice message to me specifically. He said, it's such an absolute joy to hear someone bubble so effervescently about their own joy. I quite simply could not imagine anyone else doing the series. Your sense of fun truly comes through, Shag. You, sir, make my Sundays as the Dick Van Dyke of comic podcasting. Wow, that was way too nice, Gord. And so I wrote it back saying, I basically accused him of being either too kind or being very drunk. And he said that, okay, you're the Don Rickles of podcasting, which actually is probably a little more fitting. Thanks for that, Gord. Her from Martin Gray from Too Dangerous for a Girl, he says, given our guest David Weeder's love of plotting comic scenes in New York City, uh, Martin Gray recommended a book called The Marvel Comics Guide to New York by Peter Sanderson. Eh, pretty cool. Dave says he checked it out from the library. Her from Grant Richter from the Unearthly Visions blog dedicated to the Avenger uh, Vision. He says you should check out the short-lived Avengers AI series from a couple years ago. It's the JLI of the Marvel Universe. Hmm. I think I may have to check that out. Dr. Ann started this Twitter poll showing some great Captain Marvel knockouts. You could vote for either Martian Manhunter knocking out Captain Marvel or the classic Supergirl knocking out Captain Marvel. And uh, you would have to do retweet or favorite, and it was on Twitter. And it was interestingly enough, it was a dead tie. So <laughs> I heard from Brad Dade. He says, I actually like the Slash Maraud series from the 80s. It needs a trade or at least one on digital. <laughs> that would be interesting. Heard from Jared Albrook. He's our workout guy with the the running marathons and the swimming. He's also the yard sale artist. You should check him out, by the way, on Facebook. He does some really awesome stuff. He's been posting some super cool sketch cards on Twitter. Some of them have been JLI members. Anyway, he says he's run 39 miles. while listening to the Justling International podcast. And he says he's almost caught up. We better start cranking out more episodes. So, Jared, I hope this uh, helps you get through the next few miles. Heard from Comics Couplets. Our buddy Mark, he wrote in to say, to strike with this red planet native a truce. Just toss that green giant some cookies and juice. <laughs> Love it. Love the poems. Thank you. I heard from Buck Rolette He says he's considering now, after listening to this podcast, getting a third Green Lantern tattoo. One for Nort. Oh, goodness, Buck. If you get a Nort tattoo, you're going to have to send us a picture. Also, I got some very nice comments from Matt Ev, from Ultron Is My Elvis, John Moret, Kirk Greenfield, Daniel Butnick, Dale Dale, and Welcome to Astro City, which is part of the Pulp to Pixel podcast network. Now, folks, it is time to give away the coveted Double Stuff Award. This is an award for someone that goes above and beyond to promote the Justice League or Justice League International or this podcast, something along those lines, or just, quite frankly, when I feel like giving it away. This month, the Double Stuff Award goes to Mr. Kirk Greenfield. Congratulations, Kirk. He has built a new bat house, which sports a bat symbol, like Batman, in honor of the one punch... Batman focus in issue number five. asked for more details, are we talking like actual bats? He says, yes, migratory or otherwise. Typical bats are brown bats. He says there's lots of information on how to build a bat house and uh, why on the internet. And uh, you can get that through the State Department of Natural Resources, or there's also a Bat Conservatory National Group. So very cool. It's this giant bat house, and it's got a big Batman symbol on the side. It's so awesome. So congratulations, Kirk. Enjoy your Double Stuff Award. Then I want to give a shout out to all the folks that shared this podcast on the social media and their own personal timelines, whether it be Facebook or Twitter. And folks, I realize this is a long list of names I'm about to read. However, these folks have shown their support and have promoted the show. So it's important to me that we recognize their efforts. They are part of the Justice League International community we're building. And I tell you folks, this community is growing fast. This time out, we're looking at about a hundred names. To be fair, this is covering two episodes, so that might explain why it's double-sized. But either way, thank you so much to the following folks. Aaron Head Moss, Andrew in Belfast, Dr. Ange, Between the Pages, Bill Beer, Boosterific.com, Brad Dade, Buck Rallet, Callum Nower, Captain Marvel Talk, Chris Lewis, Christopher J. Warden, Clinton Robinson, Close Out Comics, Coffee and Comics Blog, Comic Reflections, Comics Couplets, Dallas Gibson, Daniel R. Butnick, Daria Treshkina. David Bayer Jr. David Gutierrez Dave Weeder DC in the 80s DAC TV Dabim, Dennis Perkins Diablo Frank Dr. G of Nerdology Engineer Federico Hernandez Film and Water Podcast Geek Brain Popcast Generation X Wing Podcast Headcast Network Jamie Gamble Jared West Jared Albrick Jason Ball Z Jeff Messer Jeffrey Brown Jeremiah Parker John Wilson Jonathan Brown Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, Keechee Baker, Connell, Cord Industry, Legacy Brand Comics, Let's Talk Aquaman, Linda Vickers, Longbox Crusade, Luke Dobb, Mark Lax, Mark's Mess Podcasts, Martin Gray, Martin Kogan, Matches Baloney, <laughs> Matthew Thomas Cody, Michael O'Brien, Michael Scarrito, Mike Gillis, Mike Peacock, Mikey Flash, Not Guano Man, Parley Pod, Pat Sampson, Pod Dillon, Portuguese Comics, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock Podcast, Rift, Rod Pruitt, Roger Priebe, Rolled Spine Podcast, Roy Cleary, Ryan Daly, Sean, Sergey Bomba, Sean McLaughlin, Silver and Gold Podcast, Siskoid, Supermates Podcast, Sin, alias Scarecrow, The Aquaman Shrine, Hammer Strikes, The Long Box Crusade Podcast, The Table Round, Morgan Z's Soul, Tim Price, Treasury Comics, Trekker Talk, Two True Freaks, Ultron is My Elvis, Unearthly Visions, Van Z, Waiting for Doom Podcast, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Warlord Worlds, Holy Truthful, Will Harris, and Willie Yarbrough. Woof! My thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI Podcast. Your feedback is such a critical part of the show. This community of JLI fans we're building together is fantastic. So if I've forgotten or missed anyone, I'm terribly sorry. Just drop me a note and let me know. I'll be sure to include you in the next episode, and I'll probably figure out some way to blame Doug for this error. So folks, please keep those cards and letters coming. Visit our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Leave a comment on the show post there. Over on Facebook, again, it's Justice League International, bahaha podcast. On Twitter, it's at JLI podcast, or the email is jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks again to Diablo Frank for helping cover the annual and to Dave Weeder for helping with episode number six. Such a great collection of feedback for those shows. Now we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, Doug should be back from his intervention. Let's hope he learned a few things. Hey, who likes Wild Dog?
2: Who likes the dogs out? Who, 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 who likes the dog sound?
1: No, 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 no. I am
0: taking this podcast seriously. There's no way that song will appear anywhere in the show or even the commercials. I'm doing this right. I'm FKA Jason of the Silver and Gold Podcast. On September 17, 2016, a new show will be appearing on the SNG feed. Wild Pod, a Wild Dog podcast is a miniseries covering the DC Comics character that is sort of their answer to the Punisher, Wild Dog. I'll be covering the original four-issue miniseries, the 1989 special, and various other appearances of Wild Dog.
1: Watch for it at SNGpod.com or the Silver and Gold feed on iTunes and Stitcher.
0: Vance, why do we even own that CD? You ain't nothing but a hound dog
2: It's stupid You ain't nothing but a hound dog It's stupid You can wag your tail But I ain't gonna feed you no more
0: Rob Kelly and the Irredeemable Shag Friends podcasters, co-hosts, kept apart these past two months. They've filled the void with explorations of Aquaman's earliest adventures, a few boahaha moments, and even a sidestep in time and space. Now, looking to the horizon, these two podcasting legends will be reunited. But what have these long eight weeks apart wrought? Has their friendship survived? What about the mutual respect they share for one another? Will they continue to create... Okay. What the hell are you doing? <sighs> these people have lives, you know. Quit screwing around and just spit it out. Let them know that we'll be back together on Sunday, October 9. We'll be doing an episode on why we love Aquaman and Firestorm. Jeez, why do you have to make these things so hard? Look, I just I thought a little build-up would be nice, you know? I mean, you know what? Forget this. I haven't missed you one bit. I swear, things with you never change. Week after week, it's always the... Fun. Robin Shag. Back together again, Sunday, October 9th, on Aquaman and Firestorm, the fire and water podcast. Knock it off! Alright folks, we're back for break, and Doug is here with me too. So, you okay buddy?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, uh, machines everywhere, I'm, I'm sorry. am <laughs> ha!
0: I th- I think apology accepted from from my iPhone at least. <laughs>
1: yeah, that means you can take those pictures off there too.
0: Oh well, I was going to thank you for appearing in this episode, Doug, but now I'm having second thoughts. But all right, what the hell? Thank you, Doug. We appreciate you being here. And why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the interwebs?
1: Alrighty, as mentioned at the top of the show, I write for Comicocity.com, and as of late, I've done a, a much better job of maintaining. Mygreatestadventure80.blogspot.com, which is a, a site dedicated to the Doom Patrol.
0: Now, by being doing a better job of maintaining, do you mean like at least one post a decade or something?
1: I, I, I think I actually got three in the month of July. Whoa!
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's better than me and Firestorm fan. I'm impressed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, uh, these, these things have a way of uh, taking a little nap, don't they?
2: Yes, they do. Yes, they do.
0: And
1: also, uh, kidding aside, I'm, I'm going to have some updates soon on talesofmygreateststrangeadventures.blogspot.com, and when I say soon, I mean before 2017.
0: That's that's soon. Yeah. Why don't you tell him that URL again, Doug? Because yeah, folks, uh, he really did set up a website with this URL. What is it again?
1: Tales of My Greatest Strange <laughs> And, and that was mainly because MyGreatestAdventure80.blogspot.com AD. wasn't enough for
0: folks. Apparently not. <laughs> there you go. Now, you if I remember, you celebrate your love for Deadman over there. And uh, what else?
1: Uh, Deadman, pretty much anything non-Doom Patrol I'll, I'll throw over there. Okay. I'm actually going to way back when I, I talked about the challenges of the unknown on some other podcast that you can maybe find somewhere. <laughs> and uh, we don't uh, promote
0: ryan daly here anymore sorry
1: yeah, yeah yeah uh that guy so I'm, I'm gonna start taking a look at some of the challenger stuff there
0: sweet that's yeah. awesome all right doug say good night to these nice folks
1: good night to these nice folks and thanks shag hopefully i can find my way back to detroit from the embassy here I, on my way out i'm gonna stop by and chat with mrs Wootenhofer on on the way out to make sure i get my parting gifts and to book my next
0: appearance <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, pal. Um,
2: <laughs>
0: come back next month, folks, when we cover Justice League International number eight. Yeah, folks, it's moving day, and we'll have another guest host to cover the issue with me. Who will it be? You're never going to guess this one, folks. Uh, this will be his first appearance on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. A long time ago, this guy taught me about love. I I mean, he love for the JLI, I mean. We go way back. Uh, well, you're just going to have to wonder who it is for a month. Thanks for listening, folks. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Doug. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast.
1: Want to make something (laughs) of
0: it.